Turn to First uh, Corinthians chapter nine. First Corinthians chapter nine. Am I on? Okay. And the sprouts can be dismissed at this time. Children, kindergarten and younger. Go with our sprout leaders. Let's give our sprout workers a round of applause for their ministry to the little ones. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you're new to the Bible, uh, you can, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can find uh, 1 Corinthians in the table of contents and, uh, and find the page number. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Follow along in your Bible as I read. Paul begins, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife? as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to, to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living By the gospel. Skip down to verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might be win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you open our eyes to this text. There are some difficult themes here, uh, verses that need to be unpacked and understood. We ask that you give us uh, an understanding of what your word is saying to us this morning, and may we apply this to our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to zoom in on that, that line, that verse, I became all things to all people so that I might save some. 
When I was a youth pastor, one of the mothers of one of my teens called me and asked if she could meet with me because her young teenage son was spiraling out of control. He was popping pills. He was using drugs uh, daily, like hanging out in the garage, smoking weed and getting extremely high and uh, was very concerned. Sometime later, I decided to sort of catch up with her and see how he was doing because as far as I could tell, he was sort of continuing this spiral. And uh, so I sat down with her and said, hey, like, how, what's going on? Like, how, how are things going? And uh, surprisingly, she was like very happy. And she was very positive. And before, he was like not wanting to, to uh, read the Bible with her, wanted to hear nothing of spiritual things. And now all of a sudden, it's like things are different. And I'm scratching my head. I'm thinking like, as far as I can tell, it seems like he's spiraling out of control worse than the situation was previously. But all of a sudden, like she's pretty happy about how things are going in the home. And so I'm trying to understand how things are going so well in the home. And so I start asking her some questions. And, and she says, well, here, this is the change that was made. This is what happened. Um, he came home one day, and I had made a decision. He came home, and I said, go out to the garage and get your weed. And so he went out to the garage, and he got his weed, and he brought it in the house. And then we sat down at the table together, and I had him roll me a blunt. And we got high together. And he let me read the Bible to him. And so I did it again the next day. And I've done it every day since. Getting high with her 16-year-old son. But hey, he lets her read the Bible to him and talk about God. Now, she then proceeds to say, I, f- I just feel like I have this calling to become all things to all people so that I might save some. So become the stoner to the stoner, so I might save the stoner. Become the thief to the thief, so I might save the thief. Right? Become the wife beater to the wife beater, so I might save the wife beater. You might say, I've never experienced murder. I don't know how to relate to the murderer. So I shall become a murderer because God's given me that freedom in the gospel so I can reach the murderer. Now, we all know that there's like some line there, right? I just crossed it somewhere. Um, The question, though, is what is Paul actually referring to when he says become all things to all people? Now, some of you are automatically going to say, well, I know what he's referring to. It's just non-sinful stuff, you know. Before we like oversimplify it, and before we just kind of write this off and say, I know exactly what he's talking about, let's move on to chapter 10, uh, let's remember that Paul uh, had his own apostleship. Uh, an apostle was somebody that was seen in the early church as sort of the initiator of the church. Uh, there's somebody that's speaking on behalf of Christ for this growing body. Some questioned whether or not Paul was an apostle because they saw him as wishy-washy. They saw him as a flip-flopper. Um, in Galatians, he's writing to uh, refute these accusations. 
Paul, you are a people pleaser. Like you go over here and you talk this way and you act that, like, like, like that. And then you're talking to that guy and you're saying something entirely different. You're requiring something entirely different. You say you can eat meat. You say you can't eat meat. Well, you're a people pleaser. Is Paul a people pleaser? Like what is Paul getting at when he says, I become all things to all people? Um, what I, what I want to do is I want to look at that question through the context of the entire chapter, okay? So when you look at verse 1, Everybody look at chapter 9, verse 1. He starts off with this phrase, am I not free? Now, remember in the first manuscripts, there weren't chapter divisions. We put those in later to help us understand sort of the sections of the Bible. Meaning, chapter 8 and chapter 9 was just sort of one seamless uh, flow of thought for Paul. All right, so in chapter 8, if you remember last week, Paul was talking about how knowledge can sort of make us puffy, like kind of prideful. And he says, look, the gospel is, and sharing the gospel is not just about knowledge and spewing knowledge on someone else, but the gospel also has to do with love. And so it's about how you love. And now there's a shift from chapter 8. He was talking about loving Christians, your brother and sister, and helping them to not fall away from Jesus and grow closer to Jesus. He is shifting here now, and he's going to talk about loving non-Christians. So refusing your rights, just as same as last week, but now doing so for the sake of those who are lost or those who are outside of, uh, of Christ. And so it, let's look at it in verse 2. He then says, so I am, a, I am an apostle, right? I'm an apostle. He's going to make a big point. The first thing he's saying is this, I have rights, all right? Everybody say that. I have rights. I'm going to fight for my right. Paul says, look, I have rights. I'm an apostle, right? And he's, he's going to make, a he's gonna make, a, make an argument. Um, if I'm an apostle, then that means that uh, I can be supported for the work that I'm doing in the churches, as other apostles are. But he says, I've given up my right. Now, for the first thing, in order to give up the right of being supported, what he says is, First of all, I have the right to be married and have, a, and have a family, like the other apostles do. So let's take Peter, for example. Peter has uh, a, a wife and kids. So if Peter comes and he's ministering at the church in Corinth, he's bringing along his wife, and he's bringing along, along a couple like snotty-nosed kids with him that are running around and doing their thing. And so Peter uh, then is receiving support from various churches. Other apostles are receiving support from churches because they have mouths to feed. They've, they have expenses that Paul does not have with a family. Um, they, uh, they can't work extremely long hours into the night to, to provide for themselves. And Paul is saying, I have uh, given up my right of having a family, of marrying, of children, uh, so that I can live more cheaply, so I can kind of get by in life, uh, so I can live on a shoestring budget, so I can move about freely. I've given up this right, even though it's mine, so that I don't have to receive support from you, church in Corinth. He then goes on in, in verses 5 and 6. Uh, he, he talks about how um, this, this, this is the reality for him. He's given up this right of having a family. He supports his right in the Old Testament. Look at verse 9. 
he says, he quotes Leviticus here, and he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads the grain. An ox, as it's doing its work, as it's treading the grain, should be free to eat. He's saying the food that was eaten. Is that written for just the ox, Paul asks? And uh, one theologian says, of course not, because an ox can't read. And so it has to have in some ways been written for humans to read and to understand. And so what he's saying is, is, is sure, God cares about the beast, but how much more does he care about the human? And so he's saying that a human should be able to, uh, to, to, to receive you know, wages for the work that they do. He says, imagine, he gives a couple of illustrations. Imagine a soldier that is, uh, is fighting in the military at his own expense, like welcome to the army. Uh, now, go to the Army-Navy store and spend $120 and buy yourself a uniform and then go to Guns and Ammo and get yourself a really nice gun. All right, you're going need to need a good one. The soldier will be like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm putting my life on the line for you and I need to buy my own gun and ammunition? He says what soldier would fight at his own expense? And uh, he says a, a gardener, somebody planting a vineyard. Of course, this person wants to reap from the, the work that he's doing. Or a farmer who's milking cows. He occasionally takes a jug of that milk into, into the house. So he's, he's, he's supporting this in all sorts of ways. Verse 11, he says, uh, if we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? He's basically saying, look, I have a right. If I wanted to, wanted to take it, you could support me, and I have the right to receive that. Verse 12, he says, if others share this rightful claim on you, don't we even more. So the Corinthian church is probably supporting maybe a pastor or two. There's other people that are benefiting from uh, uh, their, their ministry among them. And Paul says, look, if, if, if they can, you know I, I have a right to receive some of this support also. All right, everybody get that? I have a right. Say it one more time. I have a right. All right. The second thing he's saying is this. I have given up these rights. Verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything. And now here's the motivation. We endure anything. Rather than to put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So what Paul is seeing is, here's the individual, the person that needs to hear the gospel, taste and see that Jesus is good, and here is the gospel. Imagine we have a cross right here. Paul is saying, like, as I look at this pathway between individual and Christ, I want to make sure that there is nothing that I'm placing in between them that would cause them to stumble on their way toward Christ. So I don't want to do anything, I don't want to put anything in there, I don't want to say anything that would cause them to say, I don't want to hear any more because of something that Paul has done. Paul has realized that the, 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 the uh, eternal vertical reality of life is what matters and his rights just simply don't matter as much anymore. Now, to place this in context, how... Does Paul not receiving money from the Corinthian church help him to make sure that there's no stumbling block between the individual and the cross? Understanding the context of Corinth helps. So in Corinth, in this culture, uh, philosophers and orators were taking large sums of money uh, for delivering their speeches. It was just part of what they did in their culture. Now, Christians 
would come along and do the same thing, use a new knowledge that we've received for shameful gain. And so Christians are coming along in the same way, motivated not by a passion and love for Jesus, but they're motivated by a love for what? Money. And so this has already created a stir. Should Christians be in the same way as these philosophers motivated by money and, and, and preaching just to receive large sums of cash? And so we can now un- begin to understand a little bit as to why it's helpful for Paul to say, look, I've given up a family, a wife. I'm living as cheaply as possible because I don't want to be a stumbling block in receiving support, even if it's a dollar. Because it might cause somebody to believe that my motives are unpure. Look at verses 15 through 18. He says, But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing to, 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 to secure any, any of these provisions. So he's, he's saying, like, listen, you've got to understand, like, I'm not saying all of this just so you'll write me a check, all right? Like, some, some, sometimes we do that. Uh, his motives are not toward money. He's saying, For I would rather die. Then have anybody deprive me of my ground for boasting? For if I preach the gospel that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward, but if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in, preach, in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. Now, I spent a very long time on these verses, 15 through 18, uh, uh, this, this week, trying to understand what in the world he's saying. And I think this is what he's saying. Well, verse 16, he says, there's a necessity that is laid upon me to preach the gospel. There is a compulsion to preach the gospel that has nothing to do with financial gain. You see, now you're starting to see the difference here. Um, I, am compel- I have to preach. I have to go on. When I was, I, I think in our second year here in Baltimore, I wanted to quit. I was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't, I wrote it in my journal. Don't, I dropped my journal once. Somebody found it. If you ever find my journal, don't read it. Just hand it to me, all right? I wrote my, like, I'm done, I quit. And uh, then the next morning I said, uh, his mercies are new every morning. Like, I woke up and it was just this fire. And as much as I wanted to quit, there was this fire which said, you can't. Like, you have to continue on preaching the gospel and just moving forward and being faithful. And I think Paul is experiencing that fire plus like a hundred gallons of gasoline. All right? I think Paul, like his moment of conversion, he comes face to face with Jesus and he falls on his face. He's blinded by the glory of Christ. He hears the Lord say, why are you persecuting me? It's this moment of humiliation, this moment of conviction, and it's a moment of calling for Paul. And so for Paul now, all of a sudden, everything in life is shifted. He is no longer what he was. I mean, literally, he can't continue going about his job because his job was persecuting Christians. 
So everything has changed. And now, as passionate and fiery as he was about persecuting Christians, he's now that passionate and fiery about the gospel. And he's saying, that's not something that I just want to do. It's the, I, I don't do it for a paycheck. I don't do it because I woke up one day and I realized that I need to eat and so I'm going to go preach the gospel and, and start doing something so I can get, get some funds to feed myself. He says, for me not to receive support from you is a way to say I am uh, compelled to preach beyond any material gain. Beyond any, anything that anybody can give to me, what he's doing is this. He's taking the gospel and he's lifting it up to the highest place of honor. To say, I need to preach the gospel. This is all I have. All I have is Christ. And if I don't preach Christ, then woe to me. If I don't preach the gospel, I am damned. And so he preaches the gospel in a way that shows the people around him that he really believes what he's preaching. Like this word of Jesus this word of new life in Christ is, uh, is everything to Paul. And so he's lifting this up <clears throat> in a way that might then draw people to see the beauty and the wonder of Christ. Now look at verse 19. We see, we see the key. He says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So that's the key. That's like where the whole passage kind of turns. I, I, I make myself a servant to all so that I might win them. And then Paul gives a number of quick examples of other ways that he does this. Not just receiving uh, support. He did receive support from Philippi, by the way. But not from Corinth. You see, you see, see how he's one but not the other. Um, and then he, he goes on, he says, so if I'm going to reach uh, a, a fellow Jew, I'm going to become a Jew. If I'm going to reach a Greek, I'm going to become a Greek. If I'm going to reach those under the law, uh, then I will, um, I, I will participate in the ceremonial practices of the law so that I might reach them. If I'm going to reach somebody outside of the law, I will uh, then uh, uh, operate outside of the ceremonial law, even though he says I'm under the law of Christ, which is the moral law of God. So I'll never violate that. Uh, he, he goes on. He says, to the weak, I will become weak so that, that I might win the weak. This, is, this goes back to the meat issue. Those who are weak and, and, and eating meat could draw them away from Christ. He says, I will, I'll never eat meat again if that's the case. And I will become as if I'm weak myself so that I might win the weak. Now, is Paul then a people pleaser? So we have this uh, issue that was debated. Paul, you're, you're, you're a flip-flopper. On one hand, you told Titus that he cannot be circumcised. Came to Christ, I'm not, don't, don't let Titus be circumcised. Timothy, on the other hand, when he came to Christ, you, you required Timothy to be circumcised. And you did it with your own hands. That's one way to get to know your friends. <laughs> Why are you requiring, not requiring, like what is going on? Why, you're, 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 a flip, you're just moving, you're, you're, you're confusing us. You seem to be a people pleaser. Now, 
a few principles that we can just draw out immediately as we sort of try to turn this and begin to apply this to our lives today. First, what we see is that Paul just simply knows who he's talking to. Paul knows who he's talking to. He, he knows that the gospel is not just about imparting knowledge. But he is going to listen and he's going to get to know the person that he's talking to. Uh, uh, the gospel is not just spewing all over people. Stuff. I mean, kids do that, right? Kids, they, they learn something and they just spew it all over you. And it's okay because they're children, right? My six-year-old, when she comes home from school, Daddy, Daddy, I, gotta, I, I learned something in school today. I learned that we, we learned about Abraham Lincoln, and Abraham Lincoln was uh, a president, and he was in the Civil War, and I think he fought in the Civil War. Maybe he didn't fight in the Civil War. I think he led the Civil War. He did something in the Civil War. <gasps> and he freed the slaves, and I think he is friends with Barack Obama, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm sure they would be, but about a hundred some years. Um, we love it when kids... <laughs> In, uh, when they spew their knowledge all over us because they're kids and we expect that. Let me just say this. Uh, your lost friends, they don't think it's cute when we just spew like a fire hose knowledge. Jesus came into this world and he, he, God, God was good God and he's a creator God and he's holy and he's just and he's righteous and he gave us the law and the law shows that we're sinners and Jesus came into this world and, and he died for your sins so you can be free from your sins and if you repent of your sins and believe in Jesus then you can be saved and Jesus is going to come back and just like shut up like what are you talking about this is nothing like there's no connection here Francis Schaeffer uh, he said once he said if I had 60 minutes to share the gospel with somebody I would take 50 minutes and just listen to them. And then I would take 10 minutes, 10 minutes and verbally explain how Jesus is the answer to their life. So Paul here, what he's first doing, he's getting to, getting, getting to know uh, people. Second, we see that Paul is never free to sin. Never untrue to the gospel. So he says, I'm not under the ceremonial law, but I am under the law of Christ. I'm under the moral law of God, the Ten Commandments, what we what love God and love your neighbor, what Christ has confirmed. I'm under the law. So I'm never free then to sin in becoming all things to all people. I'm never free to change the truth of the gospel to become all things to all people. One, one quick example of this, um, the, the current debate around Hell, I think, is a, a, a good example. I've read enormous amounts of uh, literature by Christians uh, who argue that hell doesn't exist. Now, I will say this. Before we just simply say, oh, please, um, there's always a motivation for evangelism behind Christians and my friends that don't believe in hell. It, the foundation is always, look, uh, um, hell is problematic. There are people who don't believe in Jesus because of this doctrine of hell. So let's, let's, let's rethink the doctrine of hell so as to make the gospel easier to swallow or more palatable for those who have a problem with it. And I say that in a way that I don't even, I want to I come across like I, I understand 
the thinking and the desire. Uh, hell is part of the stumbling block of the gospel itself. But we can't change the essence of the gospel itself in order to become all things to all people. Or um, we can't... Like, hell is distasteful. Actually, hell is more than distasteful. Hell is, hell is horrendous. But we, we, we can't believe something based on whether or not it's horrendous. You see what I'm saying? And so there's, there's a, a strong place here in which we have to say we have to be true to what it seems that the Bible's saying, what Christ is saying, the realities of this life. And we're not allowed to, we can't, we can't change that. We, we can't sin in becoming all things to all people. So that's the second thing that Paul's saying and doing here. The third thing is this. Paul is saying then if it's not a sin issue, it, uh, if it doesn't violate the gospel itself, the truth of the gospel, and then he says basically, all right, be flexible. Do whatever it takes. Change whatever you need to change in order to win some. Somebody once told me that on, on the subject of hell, they, they, they said, I can't think about hell very much because if I thought about hell a lot, I would always, like, I'd be telling everybody about Christ. And I think Paul is, I know. <laughs> like, we're kind of the same way, aren't we? Um, we? We ought to be motivated, not just by hell, by the goodness of Christ, we ought to be motivated to love our lost friends. I think, uh, first of all, I don't want to be driven by guilt here, um, but I think we can all say that we don't love the lost as we should um, for whatever reason. I think we can probably just have a moment of repentance and confession. Um, we don't love those who are outside of Christ like we should. Uh, so let's repent of that. Let's ask God to place in us a love for the lost, the fire that Paul had. Um, and, then, uh, and, and then let's just simply do whatever it takes to see them taste and see that, uh, that the Lord is good. All right? So those are sort of our principles here. Now, um, how do we do this? How do we... We're praying for a love for the lost. God places in us a desire and a compassion for the lost. Now, how do we practically go about becoming all things to all people? I want to draw out of here two things, that, or, or three things, that we need to remember as we uh, seek to become all things to all people. Number one, remember that you no longer belong to any category. This is what I mean by that. Look at verse, verse 19. In verse 19, he says, Though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. My friends who have grown up in other countries, like American friends, grew up like, say, a missionary kid, all right? Uh, they have this unique ability to operate in a number of different cultures, though not necessarily belonging to any. Does that make sense? So like they can operate in, the, in, in an Indonesian culture, fully operate, and, 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 uh, and then they can move over here and operate in, in an American culture, yet they don't necessarily feel their identity comes from either of these cultures. 
In the 1950s, a sociologist called these kids third culture kids. So somebody who their their developmental years were spent in a culture that was different from their their own parents' culture. Now, um, Christians essentially become third culture people, meaning we can operate in this culture. And now we can operate in this culture, yet I don't necessarily feel like I belong to either of these, or I don't find my identity in either of these cultures. Let me show you what I mean. Paul, what was Paul's ethnicity? Somebody yell it out. Jewish, right. Um, was, was Paul a faithful Jew? Yes, he was. He says he was circumcised in the eighth day. Uh, he, uh, Hebrew of the Hebrews, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then he says this. He said, look in verse 20. He says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew. I became, listen to the language, I became as a Jew in order to reach the Jews. Paul's peers would say, Paul, you are a Jew. <laughs> like, what, do you, what do you mean you became as a Jew? Like you're pretending. This is like, uh, this is as if, as if I said to reach the white people. <laughs> I became as a white person. And you'd be like, Joel, you are white. All right? But yet my identity is no longer in my whiteness. Don't you see what Paul's saying? I no longer identify myself as a white person or as an American or as somebody from Ohio or as somebody from a middle-class suburban back. You see what I'm saying? Like we, okay, so yeah, I, I, I know what I was. My, I'm freed now from all categories. I'm freed to now operate and flex and move and mold. Like water poured into a glass, it takes on the shape of what? The glass. Christians are third culture, meaning we can be poured into any culture and we now can learn and we can listen and we can take on the shape of whatever culture that we are poured into so that we might win all. How is this possible? Well, we have something called the Holy Spirit that gives us a strength beyond our own natural capacity to be able to move in and out of various cultures and to truly become third culture people. And so Paul is saying, I no longer identify with any category. And I will do all that it takes to become, uh, or, uh, to, to win some. In Christ, there is no suburbanite. In Christ, there is no introverted. I can't share the gospel with them because I'm introverted. I don't do those sort of... Paul's like, look, you used to be introverted, all right? Now you're a Christian. And in Christ, there is no introverted. There is no extroverted. There is no black or white or Hispanic or Indian or Asian. In Christ... There is no suburban and there's no hood. Like in Christ, we all have now one race, and that is the race of the redeemed. In Christ, we have one culture, and that is the culture of Christ. And so now that we are freed from all categories, we're no longer bound. I, you, you, I can't say, let me just, can I get really personal really quick? Sometimes, whenever I go off my notes, it's always scary, so. 
be scared for just a moment. Um, I grew up, let me, let me back up. Our church is, just look around. We, we have a very nice, nicely diverse church, all right? <laughs> all right. Um, my African-American friends in the room. I grew up with no black friends, all right? I grew up in a white culture, in a white school. I had one friend that was a minority, and even he was half white, <laughs> all right? <laughs> you get what I'm saying here. All right. <clears throat> I went to college at a white school, um, in a white town in Florida, Lakeland. Um, I've played basketball again. <laughs> I go to the Eastern Shore, all right? And, uh, yeah, a lot of white people, all right? Uh, was a part of a white church, all right? Are you tracking with me here? You kind of see a pattern in my life. Um, <clears throat> now, I, at one point in my life, felt a strong call, and I still do, <laughs> to come to Baltimore and to plant a church. And I remember the first time I looked at the demographics of Baltimore, I thought to myself, I can't. Like 30% white. I can't go into a culture where it's a, it's a, Baltimore is a minority city. How can I, how can God call me to plant a church in a non-white setting? Like maybe I should go to Portland. All right? <laughs> I mean, there's got to be some place that would be, you know, um, and this is what God told me through his word. You no longer are identified by your whiteness, by your culture, by your background, by your group of friends. And here's the, the reality of it today. Now, I, I in faith just trusted God. I came, white guy, into Baltimore, and, and God has been good um, in helping us uh, not just be a bunch of white people, all right? Um, here's the reality. My, some, of my, some of my best friends today are people who grew up in, you know, West Baltimore, which is very different than suburban Ohio. And you know what? I have more in common with them. I have, I mean, more to talk about. I have a, a brother, like, a, I mean, I feel like true brothers with, with, uh, with them. I have more in common with them than I do my white friends back home who don't know Jesus. I get together with them and it's awkward. You see what I'm saying? Like we, we no longer are identified by where we came from, by our background, by our up, and we begin to find that, wait, in Christ we are one. And now... As we are one, we flex, and we shift, and we move, all right? Look what he does, all right? <clears throat> I went off my notes. Was that okay? Um, we might need to, uh, yeah. All right, number two, um, we must remember to be flexible in all categories to win all categories, all right? So Paul first says, I no longer identify myself by any specific particular category. And so I am free now. Remember what he, he started off by saying, am I no longer free? You see how he's addressing this now? I am free to jump in and out, to flex, to mold into all categories so that I might win all categories to Christ. So remember, he 
did not circumcise Timothy. Why? Well, now we start to see why. Timothy, or Titus, I'm sorry. He did not circumcise Titus because Titus was going to the Greeks. And it would have been better off for Titus to remain as he is so that he could reach the Greeks. Because if the Greeks then come across Titus, who's circumcised, they would automatically write him off. So, no, I won't allow him to be circumcised because what's important is that we reach the Greeks. But now Timothy, Paul said, Timothy, you're going with me, all right? And we're going to Jews. And so, somebody give, give me a knife and let's get chopping here. Like, this has got to happen because we need to reach the Jews, all right? Different culture back then, all right? Um. So, so Paul is like saying, wherever we can flex, we will flex. We will do whatever it takes to win some. If you're going to be reaching out to an atheist scientist, you're going to have to get to know a little something about their worldview. And you're going to flex in a different way than you would if you are sharing the gospel at a junior high basketball team event. You're going to flex in an entirely different way way there. A Muslim who becomes a Christian will now be flexible in ways that they never had conceived possible as they reach out to a Hindu. The way that you're sharing the gospel and reaching out and loving and clearing out any stumbling block between a prisoner and Christ is going to look different and it's going, you're going to flex in a different way than when you're clearing out the stumbling blocks between your coworker and Christ. So we now, with the power of the Holy Spirit, can flex, can move, can be shaped into the glass in which we're poured for the sake of the Gospel so that all may in all categories, come to Christ. Number three, the third thing we remember is that it is always more important to preach the gospel than to embrace our own rights. The gospel of Jesus Christ is just infinitely more valuable than my own desires, than my own, what, what feels natural for me, than my own rights. In verse, actually, let me, let me actually talk about that just a second. <clears throat> um, there is, uh, uh, I mean, a story, I don't have time, but there's story after story after story of people who basically said, I have a desire for something. I have a right towards something. Um, but the gospel and preaching the go- and seeing the law saved is just more important. All right. So, for instance, uh, a, a new member in the garden um, li- was living out of state, was happy where she was living, uh, had the right to remain where she was, gave up her right to move back to Maryland because her family was not a Christian, and she was the only Christian her family knew, and so she gave up her right to remain to go. Uh, if, I rem- if I remember right, Paul and Sade had a right to, re- uh, to a house in PG. And they gave up that right to live in the neighborhood and, and help, be, uh, uh, help this church be on mission here in 
Baltimore City, um, you might have a right to take a loan for a brand new car. But you might give up that right because you know that if you exercise your right, that the monthly car payments will not allow you to generously open up your table to your neighbors. And so you give up the right so that you might love the lost and become all things to all people. Listen, the gospel is infinitely more valuable than our rights, what we can do, what we're allowed to do, and what we, uh, what we desire to do. In verse 23, look at verse 23 with me. He says, I do it all. I do everything for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you hear what he's saying here? He's saying that I'm giving up various blessings. I'm giving up the right to, uh, to, to receive money from the church in Corinth. I'm giving up all of these various... Because there are more blessings found somewhere else. I'm giving up my rights for the sake of, not them, but for the sake of the gospel. You see, Paul is motivated by this. He's not even at the core motivated by love for the lost. He's motivated by his love for Christ. He's doing this for the sake primarily at the core of Christ. Because it was Christ who gave up his rights for us. It was Christ, Paul knows, who became all things to all people so that he could win his own. It was Christ who became a sinner so that sinners might become like him, righteous. It was Christ who became a human so that humans might be redeemed. It was Christ who took on the judgment of God on the cross as He hung, and the judgment of God came down on Christ for your sins, so that those under the judgment of God could be free. Christ gave up all of His rights for, uh, for, for, for us out of love for us, and Paul says, so now I give up my rights for the sake of Christ, because I love Him so much. And because the gospel has infinite blessings beyond our comprehension. Meaning, I, I know that I'm not getting what I can, Paul says, but do you realize what I have? Do you realize what I've already been given through Christ? As Christ uh, dies for us, we are then adopted into the family of God. We are now brothers with Jesus Christ, which means that whatever blessings Jesus has coming to him, we have coming to us as well. So Jesus, Jesus rose from the dead. What does that mean for us? It means that if he was rose from the dead, then so we will be risen from the dead. That life is not the end. And that one day, beyond this life, we will find that, that Jesus is indeed good and wonderful and beautiful as we are embraced into the kingdom of God and the blessings that are Christ just simply fall on us, and we will say every single right I ever gave up was worth, was worth this. Paul then ends with an analogy, the 20, verse 23 and on. He, he talks about a runner who's preparing for a race, running for the prize. And maybe you've uh, prepared for a marathon, and as you're preparing, you, you, you have a right 
to a Big Mac and you give up your right to the Big Mac because it's going to help you keep your eyes focused on the bigger Big Mac, right? Or whatever that goal, the, the prize. Um, and, and, uh, and so you keep your eyes focused. Paul is saying, I give up every right. I give up everything that I have to give up in order to keep my eyes focused on the, the goal and the crown. And this isn't a, 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 a medal that rusts. But it's an imperishable reward. And that is the reward of life itself. Paul is saying, it's all I have and I trust and I hope that we can stand and say the same with him. That we can give up all of our rights, that we can walk away from that Big Mac that we want so that we can keep our eyes focused on the bigger Big Mac. All right, Jesus Christ himself, the, the reward. Jesus is life. And if it wasn't for Christ, then we would be damned. And so let the world see that. Let the world see how good Christ is by the way that you love, in the way that you live, in the way that you give up your rights. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you seal these truths in our hearts that we show uh, to the world around us that the gospel is all that we have and we truly would be absolutely lost in this life if it wasn't for Jesus. And let us do whatever it takes to lift Jesus up and to show the world how important he actually is. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.